0: If you like this show, I have two requests. One is to share it with someone and make sure that they know what a podcast is and how to get it. Either show them iTunes or Spotify. And the second request is let me know if there's somebody that you would like to be interviewed in your personal circle. Uh, people ask me all the time where I find these guests and They're friends on Facebook, friends on LinkedIn. Uh, I see uh, news articles and I simply reach out and talk to them and ask them if they'd want to tell their story. So uh, this podcast was founded on the premise that you don't have to be rich and famous to tell a compelling story. And if there's somebody in your world that uh, you think would be a great interview, I guarantee you they would be. And just shoot me a note at podcast at thewarmfront.com and let's hook it up. Thanks. I don't know I'm making this up as I go. What are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively.
1: I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I could do this all day.
0: The Matt Sodnikar Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. This is Matt Sodnikar. Thanks for listening, everybody. I appreciate you sharing and commenting. It means a lot. I appreciate you taking the time to listen. And with me today is Melissa Stanger. She is the director of IoT services at Allegion, And we met at a IoT meetup a few months ago. And as we connected a little bit, we had a shared background in bicycles and now in the tech space. With that, Melissa, welcome. Thanks for making the time this morning.
1: Great. Thanks, Matt. I'm really excited to be here.
0: I wanted to pass along a compliment from our mutual friend, Joe, and I told him we were doing this episode and he said first to say hi, but he also said that, and I'm quoting this right off of his Facebook message, he said, I'd immediately stop what I'm doing just to work with her again. So, you might want to hear that. And <laughs>
1: wow, wow. That's, so. that's quite the uh, quite the compliment on a Wednesday or a Tuesday. <laughs> I appreciate that, Joe.
0: I will. I'll let him know. Um, so when we talked before uh, a couple weeks ago, you had talked about, I guess, not a myth or maybe a misconception about getting into technology with that you had to have a technical background. Can you kind of expand on that that thought and tie it to your personal experience?
1: Sure. Um, I think that that comment thought comes from sort of this this idea that really only technical people know how to run technical businesses and be experts in technical products and solutions. and I think you know my background's pretty different. I came out of college and had a marketing and international business degree had the opportunity to go work for big box retail in a management training program learned a lot about the customer um, from a face to face perspective, but also learned you know how to run a business um, on a little bit of a smaller scale and then took those skills and that knowledge and went into the bicycle business and that's where I got to work with Joe, which was great. And, um, ran an inside sales team. So really customer focused. there again, learned how to, you know, take the business operations a little bit differently from a B2C to a B2B world. Um, still with a strong consumer component and then sort of accidentally ended up in technology. Um, I found my um, boss at the time at at Pearl Izumi um, he made the leap to the technology business, and he was really great and a great mentor and you know now friend to me. And it was really his leadership and his confidence, I would say, in making in me and making that leap into a different business that that was really um, was really the jump from consumer products to technology. And I never would have thought of going into tech without somebody else sort of saying, You don't need to be a technologist to understand and come over and learn. Um, And the roles that I took in that business really started out using the skills that I had. Very customer focused, very business operational, kind of stand up this little business and make it run. Um, And then really, as I learned the technology, you know, really, it was still about the customer and how you focus on what they need and what their needs are and how you solve their problems and you know, you just learn the pieces that you need to know along the way on the tech side, and you you hire the right people who understand the technology, and you listen. Um, and I think that allows people to to grow and learn their skills. And it's I think I would say it's about a curiosity and some base core um, experiences that allow people to to kind of migrate into all different types of um, whether it's all different types of um, applications, whether that be you know, technology, whether it be retail, whether it be, you know, government affairs or whatever it might be, it really is about your own personal kind of base knowledge and curiosity. You don't have to be an engineer. And I think that's kind of how I, how I ended up there um, or and where I am today, I guess, too.
0: So how big of a um, challenge was that decision to leave the bike industry? Was, did you agonize over it and, you know, um, take me through that when you were looking at making that leap into an unknown world.
1: Yeah, I think for me, I'm an, I'm an outdoor person. I'm a cyclist, a skier, a hiker, you know, all the typical, maybe Colorado things. Um, and so my, my dream coming down to college was actually to work in the outdoor industry. And I put together, you know, hundreds of resumes sent them to every outdoor company I could think of this is back in the early 2000s and I know how old I am but um before you know the internet really existed for for job applications so I snail mailed them um so that was always my lifelong dream is to be in that culture and you know sort of took a detour into retail but you know found my way into that culture in Pearl Zumi in the bike bicycle business um and really enjoyed it and I think it, was, it wasn't it was as agonizing because of some of the changes that had happened, um, but also because I'd found somebody who was able to create the culture that I actually wanted to work in, and it didn't have to be in, in the bicycle business. It could be in the technology business. Um, so it was agonizing because it was scary to take that big of a leap from something I had done for a number of years and really enjoyed in the bicycle business and personally really enjoyed it, so had a lot of... Uh, commonality with people that I worked with, and a lot of comfort, I guess I would say. So it was hard in that sense, but I think to to take a leap and learn something new um, is always something that I have enjoyed, and I would say pushed myself to do. So it was hard to leave the people, and not so hard to change the change the industry side.
0: Sure. Where do you think that? willingness to take a leap came from and can you remember the first time you did it as a, as a younger person or um, was that your family? Where did that come from?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting question. So I, I come from a long line of entrepreneurs and small business um, owners. My grandfather and his, his father started a business back in 1922 Um, and they did heat treating for metal parts. Um, and there's a number of businesses that kind of go along and kind of coincide that. And my, my grandfather ran that business for a long time. He had 10 kids. Um, and then he started a a number of other businesses and then his sons began to run those. One of, one of those sons was my dad. So my dad was a small business owner along with a number of my uncle's um so i grew up always watching and learning how their life was how they you know worked in those businesses um and always thought that was a really was another goal of mine was to work in small business or be an entrepreneur with a new idea um so i kind of grew up with that i guess at the core of me um but the idea of always kind of trying something new or taking new leaps um i guess really started when i was in college and you know, went to college in a different state, um, learned how to, or not learned, how knew how to ride a bicycle, but decided to pick up a new sport and started riding bikes, rode little 500 at Indiana university. And, oh, no
0: kidding. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> um, and then, so that was one, I would say it took a little bit of a leap to, you know, take my athletic ability, but to totally point it in a different direction. I've been a soccer and basketball player for a long time. Um, and then I, I also studied abroad and, you know, got on a plane, flew to London, spent four or five months in London, England um, by myself with, you know, obviously with a program, but, you know, didn't go with anybody I knew. And I think that was the first leap. And that was really, I think, the, the stepping stone to me feeling comfortable taking new risks and trying new things. Cause I came out of the other side of that as a, as a pretty different person um, with a very different experience. So at the core of me, I think I always had the, the curiosity, but, you know, trying a new sport and, you know, living in a totally different country for half a year were, were two things I think that were good stepping stones to the rest of these steps.
0: Yeah. I remember reading a book um, about the Navy SEALs and this, this is going to be a huge quantum leap tying these two concepts together. So stick with me for a second, (laughs) but (laughs) he, uh, he, he talked about uh, when they were, going to be exposed to artillery fire. And the, the author was saying that people can describe that all you want, but until it actually happens that you have no idea what it's really going to be like. And so uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by you describing it of, you know, seeing your family for generations creating this and operating in uncertainty but then it's way different when it's your butt on a plane going to London and you're doing it yourself.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it's totally, it's very true. And I don't think you realize that those experiences, how they all add up or what they actually mean until you get to an age where you're like, Oh, that's probably where that comes from. And you kind of have to reflect back a little bit and figure out why you are who you are and how you got to where you are too. So
0: my wife, uh, my ex-wife now, but in 2004, she had surprised me with a trip to France to see, to culminate with uh, the end of the tour. And I went by myself. It was uh, just you know, a wonderful present that she had given me. And I remember getting off the plane. And uh, this is way you know before 9-11 because I had actually... Got off the plane. I walked all the way out to like the curb, past baggage claim, and like <laughs> then basically walked back in to get my suitcase, like past security and like all this other stuff. <laughs> but um, I just remember uh, I was super tired. I was jet lagged and I walked around and I fell asleep on a bench under the Eiffel Tower and got back to the hotel. And I just remember thinking for a brief minute that. This was a huge colossal mistake. I was looking at this beautiful city, but I was didn't speak the language and I was tired and I just immediately panicked and then went to sleep for I think 14-15 hours and got up and it was one of the defining moments of my life that just changed my perspective and you know, I wasn't close to just buying a ticket and coming home. I just needed to reset and sort of let everything settle. And I'm so glad that I did that. And that was kind of a, that kind of, it was definitely a turning point in my outlook on myself and on, on life.
1: Yeah, no, I think there's, there's a lot of moments I think you have like that, but there's a couple of really defining ones where you sort of kind of, just take a deep breath and go, okay, I don't have to do it all by myself. Um, and I think that's where you, you learn and grow and you, you lean on the people that are around you at those points too for support, um, to encourage you. And that's where your network becomes really important in your family.
0: And I think back to, I remembered a friend, I'm still good friends with him to this day, and he makes me look like an introvert. He is just out there and he's the loudest, funniest person in the room. And I just remembered at a very young age, you know, back when I was perfect, Melissa, when I was younger, <laughs> <laughs> um, I just remembered seeing people that could um, work the room. And I found this audio book that was like a cassette. That's probably how old this was, but it was basically skills on how to not, not network, but what to do at an event and how to carry on a conversation. And I I, forget, I actually wrote down like the 50 things that she said, and that was a defining point for me as well, that I learned that if it's a skill and one person has learned it, then somebody else could learn it too. So whether it's guitar or the bike industry or IOT. And I just was like, nobody's born with any of this stuff. And that really, it, it scared me a little bit because I realized it was all up to me, but then it gave me a sense of power. That's like, all right, if I want to learn something, it's out there, go ask for help. Like you said, or just go investigate and get after it.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. That's a really interesting perspective that, you know, everything's really a skill and it, it's learned. Um, and at some point, and this happened to me when I first started in the technology space, it was, we, you know, I had a lot of issues standing up business systems and a lot of the things existed before I got there. And I remember walking into it and being the one that was charged with, okay, we need to take an order from a customer and we need to ship it out the door and then we need to get paid for it. And there were all these different systems, super limited budget. And I went, this isn't my problem. You guys had this before I got here. And they're like, well, what do you think we need to do? And you kind of look around and you go, well, I guess I'm the only one that can really solve that. So I better find the resources and figure out how to go do this and learn the skill to... kind of rally people and and build the process around it and um I think that's also another kind of you talked about defining moment like it it really when you look around in a small in a small business um it's really on you to make it happen and it's not you by yourself but you're the one that has to push forward and take the ownership and um be accountable to it
0: I want to dive into IOT, but two bike questions. What was the name of your Little 500 team?
1: <laughs> uh, it was Athena, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: And how was that experience? And for sake of context, can you describe it really quick? It's just a it's a seminal defining thing in, uh, in the bike world.
1: Yeah, so Little 500 is basically the biggest amateur cycling ride in the u.s it it used to be when i did it um so it's a you have a group of uh, teams of four across 32 different teams in the field you ride around on a cinder track for uh, 80 to 100 laps um there's a women's ride there's a men's ride it's used to be a fairly greek based kind of fraternity sorority ride and i think a number of independent teams have done it it follows the the movie Breaking Away so if you want to actually get deeper into it that's the movie to watch um but I how I got into it I guess my a friend of mine at the time he wrote in it and you know he really enjoyed it and he kind of encouraged me to do it and I didn't do it until I was a senior and kind of walked into it pretty late and you know everybody had already been training and you know the team only had three riders Actually, they had four and they picked me up as the fifth rider um, as an alternate just in case. And I was like, well, that's not acceptable. I need to ride <laughs> <need to> <laughs> in this thing because I'm not going to do this again. Um, so I worked really hard to learn, to train, um, and I actually earned the spot to be one of the starting four. Um, it was a really cool experience. I mean, it's an in, cycling tends to be kind of an individual you know, because you're out there on the bike by yourself, but because you have a team of four and you train and learn, you have that environment. So it was really cool. Um, I have, you know, lifetime friendships with those people uh, on that team and learned a ton from them. And um, we actually, they do a number of races and events leading up to the actual race. And one of them is called Team Pursuit, where your team's out on the track chasing another team. And one of my teammates in that Team Pursuit wrecked, and broke her collarbone this is like Uh. the ride the the race and so we were down to three people on our team and so we went out and um we actually finished ninth in the entire race out of 32 in the field with three riders and so it was a pretty awesome experience um you know there were a lot of adversity and kind of ups and downs through going from five to four but down to three uh riders and then still being able to to come in a pretty decent spot um as we finish the race so it's one of my one of my favorite um pieces of college is is just that experience it was really cool
0: (laughs) where would you rank the ride uh in terms of difficulty over all all of your rides
1: um I mean it was hard like you're you're jockeying for position you're trying not to wreck it's on a cinder track you're on a single speed bike with coaster brakes. Um, <laughs> oh
0: no kidding I didn't know Yeah it's totally
1: <laughs> this is a crazy kind of experience. It and that was my first kind of bike racing so I didn't really realize how unique it was until I you know I started to do a lot of bigger just longer rides like triple bypass and did a couple of triathlons but didn't quite realize how intense that was um, or like acute, all of the decisions that you made were, cause you don't want to wreck cause that hurts. And then you have to get off your bike and run it across the field to your team. So somebody else can get on their bike. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was probably most, the most intense, um, because of other things I think you're racing, but it's not really the same kind of, um, the stakes aren't, aren't the same when you're kind of racing on your own.
0: And the hundred laps, like time-wise, um, what time in, of the day did it start and finish? I'm trying to get my head around how long that would take a cyclist to do a hundred laps on a, is it a quarter mile track? Yeah. Oh, okay.
1: So it's, uh, it might be longer than that. I'd have to go back and look. Um, it, the women's race, I think is 80 laps. The men's race is a hundred. Um, it was about a two hour and a half to two hour ride. It starts okay. in the afternoon, so all the, you know, fans have the opportunity to go out and get an appropriate state of mind and show up to the, <laughs> the really um, Yeah, I mean, it was as much of a, a social party scene as it was, you know, really athletic scene. So, it was, you know, it was the collegiate intramural amateur ride of the year. It was fun.
0: Nice. And then last bike question before we dive into IoT. Um, how many bikes do you have in your garage?
1: Oh man.
0: (laughs) That's a loaded question and I knew it.
1: (laughs) So I still have my little 500 bike um, from the race. I kept it. And so we ride that around town with my kids. My kids each have a bike. My husband has a bike. I have two bikes. I've been looking at mountain bikes because I started getting into mountain biking. I'm not good at it, but I really enjoy being outside. Um, And then I... I'm probably going to get a new road bike here cause I accidentally drove my car into the garage with my bike on top of it. Uh,
0: I've done that,
1: which was horrifying. Um, so I don't know how many is that seven or eight bikes, which I don't have a very big garage. So <laughs> <laughs> quite, quite the footprint.
0: the sound of a bike rack being torn off the roof of a car is straight from the gates of hell. It's just confusing Uh, and loud and like, what is going on? And yeah, not, not good. Not good.
1: (laughs) I'm reliving it. It's terrible.
0: (laughs) So IOT and with Allegiant, what is your, um, focus? What's your role with that? Cause I know IOT is everything from, you know, Google home and, and, uh, just, you know, devices and wellheads like we talked about at the, the, yeah. the meetup group, but your particular focus and, um, you know, responsibilities with this field, what, what do you have going on there?
1: Yeah. So maybe just a little historical background, a little bit on Allegiant. Yeah. So, yeah. And um, that'll kind of, complete the story but so Allegiant is a spin-off of Ingersoll Rand about five almost six years ago they spun out the security division of Ingersoll Rand into Allegiant Um, so it's publicly traded business and it's it's a house of brands probably the most well-known one is is Schlage Um, very focused in the residential and commercial spaces And ultimately everything um, around kind of your doorway. So your doorknobs, your hinges, if you think about commercial space, um, your crash bar, um, kick plates, salespeople always say, don't forget the kick plate, Um, the closer of the door, all of those pieces around the door. And then we own a couple of businesses that are actually the physical door. So uh, very much around a security and safety company. Um, And that's how it really grew up. So a 100-year legacy in those Schlage brands, um, really high quality and and really successful in those spaces. And then about 10 years ago, they purchased a a reader-based business out in Colorado. And that was the first foray into a connected lock. So they took that technology and put it into their mechanical doorknob um, and started to make it a connected device. So it could read um, plastic credentials as we think about them today. Um, they put that into the residential homes and then also into the commercial spaces um, into what's traditionally known as physical access control. Um, those evolved; those devices evolved over a number of years. Um, they had you know, software and mobile devices to stand them up in the cloud and then commission them to the cloud. And then we also have those devices globally. So Legion's a global business um, with offices in EMEA as well as Asia Pacific. And so my role is new in the business. Um, The business I was in previously was acquired by Legion. Um, And so about a year ago, the business said we really need to get focused on a common platform, software platform for all of our devices to connect to globally. Um, and we need to get very intentional about how we do that. And so my goal, the goal for my team was to um, really dig into what are the needs of the business and our devices, but also what are the needs of our partners and our customers? And how do we build a cloud infrastructure um, to make connecting our devices easy from a physical to you know device connection perspective, but also for a software partner um, through an API. Um, so really we've been working on who's the right vendor, what technologies should we use, um, what, is, what does the architecture need to look like, what are the customer needs, um, and then really what does the future of an IoT connectivity solution look like for lock devices and how does um, all the information that you know, the events and how devices are used, really the data start to allow us to add value back to customers in um, the way we do predictive maintenance or predictive analytics or just make the experience around the device, um, even take it to an even higher level than just, I connect it and it protects my door. How does it add more value around, you know, my dog walker didn't show up at three o'clock or Walmart's here to deliver my groceries. And so they have a code that's temporary and they can bring them in. So they, um, so they stay cold appropriately And, and all those sort of conveniences of life. And how do we at the opening with a connected lock provide an even better experience, um, from a holistic solution perspective outside of just opening and closing the door.
0: I put a Schlage um, keypad lock on my house a couple summers ago and loved it. And there was a time when I didn't even know where the physical metal key was and I didn't really care. (laughs) And it was great because I could just, it was one less thing to look for. And I could go on a ride or run or leave and just never had to worry about crawling through a window to get in. It, It was, it was wonderful absolutely wonderful.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't think you realize how convenient it is until you have it. Um, I just put our new residential lock on my house this weekend and it's connected to the cloud real time. So I can get on my phone and provide anybody a code or let them in at any time. So whether my, you know, the person that cleans my house comes or, in the interesting COVID-19 days we're in one of my neighbors has the supplies to make hand sanitizer. And so she made it and we have, we're up in a different house um, because we need a change of scenery, but she was like, Hey, I have your hand sanitizer. It's all ready. And we could give her a code to come into the door, put it inside and then relock the door and then it's temporary. And um, you know, it's, it's gone. So it was a really cool way to, um, to to even take that to a different level and let other people experience that convenience as well, instead of just leaving it on my front porch and you know having it be <laughs>
0: <laughs> sold on the black market,
1: <laughs> commodity right now. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I didn't, you know it's connected to our. We have a what's a brilliant panel in our house that's a connection to our lock, so we could it has a camera looking into your house so we could see if we wanted to her come in and it's recorded and you know, all of those things. So just oh, being cool. great, those devices, really, it makes it a lot convenient, a lot more convenient. You don't know you need it until you have it. And you're like, wow, that was awesome. Um, <laughs> you're a tech nerd. Like I am now.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. To a point. I, I was a software engineer for 10 years. I wrote code for Medtronic and I do geek out on that stuff. Like, I, I like to play with it and consume it. I just don't like to write the code anymore. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, You so, have a deep appreciation, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I still think about, um, failure modes a lot is because we were, uh, oh, I'm blanking on the class three or class four life sustaining device. I know that it's wrong, but we were a life sustaining device and, um, The worst thing that could happen to a pacemaker is having to be explanted out of somebody because of a a fault or a failure. So um, it really got me thinking. And I'm glad I'm not an engineer anymore, but I'm happy that I was because not from a pessimistic viewpoint, but I just look at everything that can go wrong and try to account for it, whether it's a sales call or a podcast or anything. And just like, all right, let's just address potential, um, you know, shortcomings or failure modes. Yeah. yeah. So if you can, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around a, an actual question here. Maybe I'll just throw it out as a statement, but, um, Schlage and Ingersoll Rand and legion coming from a physical security perspective where, you know, pre smart locks and all that, where it's, the company's reputation to make sure that doors stay locked. And then now with data and, you know, I hear about um, nests getting hacked and, you know, the IOT, um, I would think that internet security and that would be paramount as well. And I'm just wondering if, you know, Allegiant and Ingersoll Rand has a different perspective than maybe some other companies do because of their history and what their product base was and how they became a company with you know security and, and safety at the at the heart of their business. Was that yeah. a question? <laughs> yeah,
1: no, I think that's a question and the statement all kind of tossed over the fence, but I, I think you're right on to the fact that you know we grew up as safety and security business at our core, the quality of our products is top-notch. I would say we do more than most people around, you know, how we test our products and the lifespan um, from a mechanical quality perspective. Um, And that is also at the core of us bleeding into cybersecurity. Um, We have a team that is very much dedicated to ensuring that we have the highest level of securities. I have a gentleman on my team whose specific role is around security, privacy, and data. And he is very, he, you know, wakes up every day and thinks about security privacy um, of the device plus the cloud solution, as well as um, the privacy of the data that, that comes into the platform and what data should we have and when and if any at all Um, and I think that really speaks to the idea that that's incredibly important to us um, how we secure the device how we protect people's information um, and what information we gather if we need it at all but also how do we turn that into value um, and where it makes sense to the customer you know at their choosing so I think it's it's a cyber is a hot topic um, as well as people's data and the privacy of that data and something we're really focused on as we move into that space even deeper.
0: Yeah, and I don't want to ask anything that would, you know, be proprietary, proprietary, sorry, but um, you know, our customers asking those questions, are they, you know, just coming from the website when they put on a smart lock and I'm just asking like very broad general questions. Do people are they concerned about their data? Do they ask where it's going? Because I could see in one way, it might be even somewhat, not, not as strong as say HIPAA, like in the healthcare, but you've got somebody's address and you've got their, you know, comings and goings, but are customers asking those kinds of questions?
1: I think it depends on the type of customer, but there are, def- we definitely get those questions. Um, whether it's a, a resident or whether it's, you know, a facility manager commercial space um, that's definitely a new not a new topic but it's a it's a common theme across how we talk to our customers it's not just here's what here's what our solution does anymore but it's also about here's the way we secure the solution that's in your facility um from a mechanical perspective but also from a cyber perspective
0: yeah personally i tend to think that um I hear stories about people that don't use Venmo or e-banking and they're going to mail a paper check. And I, and again, not looking down and just trying to see things from their perspective and not criticize and just try to understand their viewpoint and their philosophy. But, um, And again, I am no cyber expert. I, you know, 128-bit encryption, I couldn't tell you exactly what that is. I know it's strong, but to me, I feel more comfortable with a password-protected phone logging into a password on Venmo and sending that from like an air-gapped checking account to somebody than I do scratching out a check and mailing it. And it's just, I, I would think you'd be in for a, a challenge in some capacity dealing with just the the distribution of the population, with their experience and their viewpoint on the cloud and security and everything else.
1: Yeah, I mean Venmo is a great example of kind of where the world has come. I mean, I think about my parents and they <laughs> they always want to send me checks, and I'm like, don't you guys have Venmo? And they're like, what? <laughs> And then you use Venmo as a verb and it's like, yeah, just Venmo me the money. And, it, you know, this expectation of your life can be so much easier and convenient. And, you know, at what cost? I think is sometimes in people's head, like, how much am I actually giving up in my information? Um, but I think there's a lot more trust and uh, different perspectives that people have when they know maybe more or just have used technology a little bit differently than others. So they... Their expectation of of how secure it is is different. And then their level of trust with those providers is also uh, very different, too.
0: I I asked this question of guests that have data backgrounds and responsibilities. And um, this is not meant to put you in a corner, but when you talk about like Facebook or just the data floating around on the internet, your personal data, what concerns do you have um if any and i'll just preface that by saying like you know if you've ever been online anywhere you're going to have a digital footprint and the only way that you're going to do that is you know even if you went completely off the grid and lived in montana in a cabin with no electricity you're still going to be on the internet somewhere and i just ask it for my own education just to get different perspectives like people like you know how do you see your data in the universe?
1: I mean, I think that the the most telling sort of digital footprint is. What, I think you just I like that word you used is when I, somebody's like, "Well, have you ever Googled yourself?" And I'm like, "Why would I Google myself? I don't." <laughs> and I did it one day, and I was like, "Whoa! How is like I have a full." like search engine of links to a number of different articles or just things that my name has been on because I managed the PR for, for the business I was in previous. And my name's tied to all of those things is the PR contact. And Mm. that was a little bit of like, Whoa, okay. Um, If somebody wanted to find my information, they could probably find it from, you know, my address because it's a public record to, you know, all the articles and sort of the themes in my opinions about physical access control and security in the cloud. Um, so I think some of that is just getting comfortable with that sort of how the way that the world works today. Um, but also, you know, you said protecting my phone with a passcode and doing the things that I feel like I want to take taking the the privacy and security of my own personal data to the level that I want to have it. So, making sure that I change my Wi Fi passwords on my network at home. And as I, you know, install new devices, that I update the admin password and, you know, doing the things that are recommended to make sure that um, my data is protected, but also consciously knowing when I sign up for the Facebook quiz on you know, <laughs> what, what. 1980s tv show personality would I be <laughs> I when I check the box I am um I, I'm choosing to give my data away so it's kind of that balance of well if you're gonna you know participate in some things you're choosing to give your data and knowing that that may be used in a way that you don't really like so it's you know being very conscious about how you where you put your data and how you use it um uh, and what your what your tolerance level is. So I think that's kind of a personal decision across people.
0: yeah, I see it. and you you hit upon a very key point. It's like buckling your seatbelt, right? It's understanding, updating the passwords. you know you buckle your seatbelt for the the unexpected for the accident. and you have to kind of buckle your your digital seatbelt. And I would say that I'm skeptical, not suspicious. like I don't go that far. Like I was thinking back to, when I signed up for Nextdoor years ago and I started poking around as I was filling this out, that people were putting their names, which, okay, you do that on Facebook, but the thing that everybody could access on there was everybody's address. And it was the default setting to make the address visible. Mm -hmm. And I don't think most people knew that. And so I was telling people like, Hey, you might just want to, poke around in the settings and turn off your your geo location here because you know people get into a flame war on next door and somebody's like i'm like go ring this guy's doorbell and you know punch him right in the nose and so <laughs> 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 um and you know i actually have a fake name on next door which they say you must use your real name i'm like well I didn't, <laughs> but and I, I don't engage on that platform, but I was like, there's no way I'm putting my real name and my address because now you're starting to get the, the puzzle pieces for, you know, critical information. So anyway.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's being aware of what you're providing and reading the settings and checking the boxes and <laughs> I think people are much more educated now or they know somebody that is, and can be more conscious.
0: Yeah. And yeah, this is uh, another question I wanted to explore with you. You know, how has your experience been in, uh, I'll just say the tech space as a woman? And, um, I asked that question, having a daughter going into the, going into college, she's 17 and, um, how has it been in kind of a, a male dominated world? Yeah,
1: that's a really interesting question. Um, I think I don't really, I've never really thought about it. Um, until I got into the technology space. I mean, the bicycle business was like this too. I mean, you went to the <laughs>
0: show and you yeah.
1: a bunch of young dudes and I would say when I left the bicycle business, there were a lot more women, which was awesome to see. Um, but you know in the technology space i was in a small business and so there weren't many of us period so it wasn't probably as apparent. um i think the first sort of realization about wow this is there are a lot less women but there are a lot less women in kind of executive vp roles is when i so the colorado technology association runs an annual women in technology conference where they do a full day um conference with all women across you know all different levels of their career they have great speakers um the former CMO from GE talked um last year really really great um uh conference but I think what I noticed most of all is that most of the people that I talked to were not in roles necessarily that I was in um you know, where I was more strategic, kind of on the executive level, talking to our board about, you know, long-term strategic plan, but how do we run our business? And, you know, what do we need to do? And that wasn't a common thread um, at the conference. And, you know, I I started to say, huh, so there's a lot of women in technology, but, you know, I think the the thing that we start to hear, that we hear now more is there's less women kind of in the executive suite or C-suite and you know, that's very true on the technology. And I think we're getting better for sure. Um, So I think that was my first like, okay, you know, I'm a little bit of an anomaly here. And then when you go into a 10,000 person company and you sit in the engineering organization, specifically in cloud-based software solutions like IOT, it becomes even smaller. Um, And so really it's about trying to give some perspective. most people that i worked with have been really great. I've had a lot of great male counterparts who have been really encouraging and, you know, really helped me and helped me grow and, you know, see me as their equal. Um, and I think that that's, you always have to find, I guess, your advocate in the room and and help educate people, be open-minded and, you know, know that everybody has a different background and, and try and learn where you can and um, teach at the same time. So it's been a it's been a really interesting progression from a small business of twenty five people to a business of ten thousand, where, you know, you become part of the engineering organization, even though I'm not an engineer, um, to see how that kind of all fits together.
0: Well, I, I worked at a Trek dealer uh, years and years and years ago, and we had a Trek sponsored training on how I think it was how not to sell to women and. I really appreciated a company thinking about that and you you can, I know you can see where the story's going because you go into a bike shop and the dudes are always like, Oh yeah, this derailleur is like 50 grams lighter and blah. And you know, and it's, and uh, it's not that women don't care about that stuff. It's that, they'll get to the the technical details eventually. And I don't even think it's like gender specific. I think some people care about the the feel and the fit and the, the experience. And some people care about the data and the performance and things like that. But just to, you know, at the end of the day, the whole thing was just about listening and just answer questions and just don't be a, jackass about it (laughs) it doesn't matter where you're talking to a man or a woman just it's not that hard (laughs) just don't be a jerk
1: yeah no that's (laughs) i'm laughing because it's just so true like uh, like, there aren't there aren't really any more words to add to that like just listen and be open and know that everybody has a different perspective and um Yeah. I mean, try and relate to people, not necessarily because they're the same gender or same, you know, color or any of those things.
0: Yeah. Don't make assumptions. That's yeah. uh, yeah. We could, we could spin up a a training business for this tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) How not to be a dude, bro. (laughs) Um, Well, and again, without getting into anything confidential, like where do you see you know i o t and you know particularly like the security space like from you know your internal perspective again no company secrets things like that like what are your what are the the hot topics people are talking about these days
1: um i mean there's there's a lot right I think everything over the last couple of years has gone into the cloud and that's great, and cloud infrastructure is awesome. There's a big focus from the Megatex on IoT specifically and making device connection turnkey, um, and how do you put more connected devices into the marketplace and take the barrier of entry away, which is really standing up your cloud infrastructure. Um, so a lot more out of the box technology solutions you know, from Microsoft, from Amazon, from a number of other um, players out in the marketplace. I think we're also seeing a big push into the edge. Um, so much data gets consumed by the device. And, you know, you think about the wa- the, you know, your Apple watch on your wrist or your phone and how much processing power that thing has and all the analytics that happen, you know, for my watch to tell me, um, Hey, you've only done 10,000 steps today. And <laughs> you better get standing up and get moving. Um, which I love and hate at the same time. Yeah, shut
0: um, up, I'm busy.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm really <laughs> tired, leave me alone. Um, but you know, how do those devices become smarter and be able to handle a lot of that? And I think that that's the big migration and that's not an uncommon topic. I think we've seen that over the last couple of years. Um, but for us as a business, the device becomes, the expectations of the device become higher. Um, you've got to have the cloud infrastructure and all of those pieces, but then how does your device become more unique and the experience around that device um, in how you use it and what it's connected to um, and what it can actually do.
0: Yeah. Exciting stuff for sure. I have really liked watching this evolve from the, you know, being tied to a desktop and mm-hmm concerned about hard drive failures to any more I could lose this computer we're recording on and I really wouldn't care it would be an inconvenience but the data because it's backed up to Google Drive and I do a secondary backup to iCloud and all my photos go up there and it it's really made life a lot easier and yeah there's been certain things that have been just you know leapfrogs and um it's just cool to see
1: yeah i mean you think about that in the time we're in now too and the number of people that hopefully have been able to migrate remote pretty easily and you know all of my things are in the cloud and you know being able to work sort of wherever whenever has made that incredibly um more convenient um you know i could just work off of my phone if i really wanted to and you know all of those pieces so Interesting to watch, you know, the world change too, and how technology can help, you know, with some of those things. We were on a a phone call yesterday for a telemedicine call with my kid's doctor, um, which was pretty awesome to be able to be remote and, you know, talk to him and see him and get the answers we needed and and move on. Um, And it was just, it was really interesting that technology could help during such a unique time as we're in right now.
0: Could you imagine the uh, the quarantines and the the isolation fifteen years ago without you know the internet or email or dial up? I mean, geez, it was hard enough to upload a a dog on website. I couldn't imagine like companies with everybody being pushed from home. It would just be <laughs> people be screaming out the windows after like a day and a half.
1: I mean, could you imagine it without something like Netflix or Hulu and Amazon, like? My kids would be running out of the VHS videos to watch, and we'd be watching the same ones over and over again. <laughs> I mean, that would just be—that would be a mess. <clears throat> <laughs> so to a complete stop instead of.
0: Just a <laughs> stop. Oh man, we've got it so easy. I—I I just you know somebody posted on um, on TikTok actually of it was a high school senior and he made this really cool short like 15 second video it was seniors in 1917 and it was a picture of the the doughboys in world war one and then seniors in 1944 and it was the you know invasion of normandy teenagers and same thing and it's just you know all about keeping perspective because humans have gone through a lot worse than Simply staying home as a uh, as an inconvenience, and that's kind of what I try to remind myself every single day.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was I like the New York Times a lot, and there was a story about these two women, and they had been through the Holocaust, the Spanish flu, something else, and now this. And one was one hundred and five, and the other one was one hundred and one, maybe. It's a really amazing story, just about they were like, yeah, being at home is not so bad. <laughs> like okay <laughs> yeah great perspective. really good perspective
0: <laughs> nice well um, I'll just post links to uh, Allegiant so people can take a look at it, it sounds like a really cool company and yeah, just doing some amazing things but uh, yeah thank you for uh, taking the time it's been great to meet you at the IOT meetup and have this conversation and find out We've Got a lot of mutual friends and common interests. So I, I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, me too. I like the weave of bicycles and technology and that doesn't usually happen for me. So I, I love it.